Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is episode 42. We've all seen the cop shows. They're sensationalized for a reason, to get eyeballs on the screen. But what's it really like to be on the police force right here in Sarasota? We'll find out in today's episode with 28-year veteran Captain Dimitri Kostinopoulos, who just happened to be on duty September 11, 2001. If you remember, that's when President Bush was at Sarasota's Booker Elementary and the Twin Towers in New York were hit by two jets flown by terrorists, known as 9-11. Hi, I'm Bob Williams. I believe to better know the town you live in, it is a must to hear what our neighbors are saying, to hear their stories. In fact, that's why I created the Sarasota Stories podcast. I started it so you, dear listener, could get connected just a little deeper in this wonderful community we call home. In each episode, I interview anyone that I believe is doing great work and impacting our town in positive ways. So you hear from authors and artists, entrepreneurs, civic leaders, and others share how they chose their profession, what they're working on now, and what their plans are for the future. Today we'll learn from Captain Dimitri why he fell in love with being a policeman at an early age, how his father influenced his career decision, what it was like on 9-11 getting President Bush to safety, a story of helping small children in a bad situation, and how the organization Sela Freedom has impacted him personally, and much, much more. I'm so glad you stopped in today. So while you're here, please listen, learn, and connect. Dimitri Constantopoulos, captain of the Sarasota Police Department. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Thank you, Bob. I am truly honored to be here with you today. Well, no, it's, it's an honor to have you here. And uh, just for my listeners, uh, give them a little bit of background, as I typically don't speak with my guests if I've never met them before. Uh, I don't get a chance to speak with them before I get them on the podcast. But Captain Dimitri and I had a chance to uh, sit down right there at uh, Pastry Art and talk about the upcoming podcast and whatnot. And what I found very gratifying was we had two or three people walk by and seeing uh, Captain Dimitri sit, sitting there in his uniform, and they're saying, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So that says a lot about Sarasota, doesn't it? Tr- truly. We, we live in a, a great city, a great county. Uh, so fortunate to have the law enforcement appreciation uh, from the citizens here. 
uh, like we do. Um, like I told you when we sat down, I, I just I can't walk downtown in uniform or really anywhere in the city without one, two, three people stopping and and, and saying thank you. And it, and it really is humbling. Uh, it's encouraging uh, for sure to know that we we have that support here in in Sarasota. Well, uh, no, the honor is all mine having you on the podcast. And so uh, and I, I feel the same way, particularly in today's world, when you see some other cities that uh, simply don't appreciate their police force as much as we do. But we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in the future. I'd like to give our listeners a little bit of your background as to how you became a policeman, what you know was the catalyst for that. And you know, in the talk that you and I had uh, there at Pastry Art, you shared a little bit about the impact that your father had on you. So do you mind sharing that with us today? Sure. No, I, I'd be happy to talk about that because his impact uh, was tremendous in my life and still is. Uh, he's a, a great influence on me and, and someone that I, I use as a barometer uh, to, to guide my, my path. But he's, he's a Greek Orthodox priest um, for 51 years. He actually just retired. Oh Yep. Uh, but I don't know if you ever really retire from the priesthood. It's it's in you. And uh, he continues uh, to, to serve people and to serve God. And, um, you know, so I grew up in a, in a very religious household. Um, my mom right there by his side, helping him and you know helping to raise us in, in a, you know, in a Christian way. And, you know, there was always you know, seeing him in action. And, and learning from him, learning how he dealt with people, how he solved problems, how he was very selfless in, in his ministry. You know, he'd get called out at night, all hours of the night, taking phone oh calls. Yep. You know, he served parishes, uh, you know, quite a few different parishes. And, you know, really the, the, the burden that, you know, that he felt and he never he never mentioned it to me. But, you know, as an adult now, I I reflect back and, and know that, wow, he he really took on a tremendous burden for, for people and put himself out there, put himself really last. And um, so, you know, with, with that background and, and growing up with my parents, there was, I, I knew that I wanted to do something positive in, in the community. And, and really I wasn't a hundred percent sure what that was. I thought about, um, you know, maybe, and I, I didn't think much a long time about this, but I did think about the priesthood and really didn't think that was, uh, the, the path for me. And, right. um, and, and I found uh, law enforcement. You know, you really don't know what you're getting into. You you, you think you do. Um, you never do. You, yeah, You never you really do. do. But I, I started that path. And um, I am a firm believer in, you know, when things, you know, God has a plan for all of us. And, you know, things just line up and, and, and take you on this, take you on this path, this journey. And uh, my law enforcement career uh, started 28 years ago, which I, I really well, can't believe wow. that uh, 28 years has has gone by already. Yep, yep. Well, so, so where where were your formative years spent? I grew up in Tampa predominantly, yep. but I was I was born in Chicago, uh, where my dad was an assistant priest in Chicago, and then his first parish was in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and we, we were there for three years, and then we moved to New Orleans where we were for about three years. And uh, when I was 10, we moved to Tampa. So that's, that's really where I grew up. So, so did you get uh, a lot of teasing from your friends that uh, your dad is a, a Greek Orthodox priest or 
Uh, but I don't know if it was teasing, but you know, they did look at you differently. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was hard to fit in at times. Well, it, it, it uh, there's a lot of different dynamics, uh, yeah. with that, you know, you, there's a, you know, a, you're a PK, you're a priest kid. So there's a lot of things that come with that. And some of them are positive and some of them are negative. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to learn how to maneuver through, uh, your, your adolescence and, and try yeah. to keep, uh, perspective and, and the right balance. It's, it's, it's funny when you, you and I talked, uh, earlier, I think I shared with you, you know, if I wanted to go out and have fun, I always found the, the PKs, the, the preacher's kids <laughs> and the uh, missionary kids, because they, they were trying to get out of that <laughs> environment. And then of course, some, many of them came back to it or they went on a different careers, kind of like what you did. So, but so, so you decide to become a, a policeman, you decide to go through the academy. Where, which academy did you go to, by the way? Well, actually, I went to two academies. So when I lived in Tampa, um, there was uh, they had just changed the way that they worked the academies where historically Tampa PD and Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office used to have a uh, police academy. But then and I think it was financially uh, driven. The academy was moved to Hillsborough Community College and right. it was more of a pay your, your own way through the academy. And that's what I did now when I was 21. And uh, what, do, what does that look like when you go through the academy? I mean, I don't really have a point of reference other than, you know, movies you see or, uh, you know, the, the military. I mean, is it do you go through a boot camp or is it a lot of study physical? Well, I mean, it's, it's quasi like? it's quasi military. Yeah. And um, and back then, you know, there were it was very physical. Um, yeah. there, there was a lot of classroom as well. So you did have to pass tests and um, it was a pretty demanding course. Um, you're, you know, you're learning, you know, as a 21 year old, um, you know, everything's new and you're very excited to learn as much as possible and, and you shoot guns and you learn defensive tactics and, right. and you, and you try to absorb as much as you can from the instructors that, that come in. Right. Well, has that, I assume that's changed over the years. So I mean, from the time that you went through. The curriculum's probably changed a little bit. They probably added yep. a few more, uh, courses, uh, some more required hours. Um, I, I think it's still in its basic form. Right, right, um, right. So, so you go through the. How long does it take to go through the academy? It's uh, it's about four months. Okay. Yeah. And then you can have ongoing training that you do. And, sure. And generally, yeah. after the academy, you know, if you get, you know, you have to get hired by an agency. Right. Um, and, and sometimes agencies do sponsor people through the academy. Uh, you you go to that agency's field training program, and um, you know there's uh, depending on the agency, generally four to four to five phases that uh, an officer goes through, and they and they have to successfully pass that program. It's a field training and evaluation program. Right, right, and and again, what does that look like when you say field training evaluation? I mean, are you, you, you're running through barriers and, and shooting targets and no, you're actually, you're actually out in the field um, yeah. and you have a, a field training officer yeah. and, you know, for each phase, there's a different level of expectation. So in, in your first phase, I mean, this is the first time, you know, if you've never been a police officer before, it's the first time you're, you know, you're sitting in the squad car and, you know, you've got all this gear on you and, and you're, you know, there's, there's so much going on. You've got the radio going on. You've got uh, a computer that's dispatch, you know, that where you're getting readouts of the dispatch calls. 
Um, you're, you're trying to uh, maneuver through a city that you may or may not be familiar with. And even, you know, if you grew up in a city, now you're, you know, maybe you're familiar with the, the, the main thoroughfares. Now you're, you're getting down into, you know, the side streets and you, and you have to know all these things. Um, right. So there's, there, there's a lot of things that you're trying to absorb and, and then dealing with people and, and how do you deal with people that may be combative verbally, aggressive, you know, aggressive yeah. physically, drugs, um, alcohol, drugs, yeah. alcohol. And um, it, it's really, you know, you, you have to do it one day at a time because it, it can be very, very overwhelming. So, so they, so you are then connected with a, another field officer who's been there for a while and, and they take you underneath their wings and they kind of show you the ropes. Absolutely. I How mean, does there, that work? I mean, yeah. there's a, there's a curriculum, a specific curriculum. And yeah. um, a, a, again, you know, there's, there's different expectations as, as the field training program evolves. So going from first phase to the next phase, you know, if you success successfully make that, then they're going to require a little bit more from you, you know, more autonomy. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully you're not making the, the same mistakes that you made in, in the first phase, but everything right. is documented. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of discussions with, with your field training officer and, and, um, so it's really mentorship there. Yeah, there, there is, that, that's the best way, you know, if you have yeah. a, a field training officer who comes with that mentorship approach, that is the most successful way. So you're 20 something years old and now you're out in the real world. I mean, doing this like live and I mean, I would, it was incredibly exciting where, where, you, where you couldn't sleep at night. I mean, like, cause, cause you're like, now you're, now you're on the front lines and you're you're on the job and you're out of the classroom and you're dealing with the public face to face. I mean, what was it like? Well, I tell you the first phase was super difficult. Um, uh -huh. first phase of my training. And there really was, to be honest with you, a point when I thought, I don't know if I'm cut off for this. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, I did get some encouragement from some friends, uh, some people that I considered mentors and, and they really worked with me and, you know, got past that, that tough point. And, you know, it probably was the third phase of that training that I, I really started to kind of figure out, I mean, you're, it's still very early in your career, but you're, you're, you're gaining confidence daily. And, and that, and that does continue um, throughout that, that program. And then really throughout the formative years of your career. Hmm. What, what, so what is it? So when you're starting off, what typically is the toughest part? I mean, maybe there's some, you know, youngster, I call a youngster I, today, anybody underneath 40 is a youngster to me, but maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's somebody who's thinking, you know, maybe I'd like to become a policeman, but what would be the toughest thing that they're going to face early on? Well, I, I think accept, accepting the responsibility and understanding the magnitude of the responsibility that has been bestowed upon you. Um, and, and to be honest with you, at 24 years old. I probably, I, I didn't really understand, sure. um, you know, and, and, uh, certainly made mistakes along the way. Um, right. And, uh, you know, at, at 52 and <laughs> at 52 years of age now, I look back and, and, uh, really this is, you know, for me in the, in the chair that I sit in now, it's, it's about the journey, um, that, that means the most to me, uh, to see, you know, how far I've, I've come as a right. person and as a, as a law enforcement professional. And, and it's just, it's very funny. I, I, I tell the story to, to young officers 
is, you know, when I had a couple, two, three years on the job, I, I really thought, wow, I, I've got this thing figured out. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a great cop. I mean, there's really nothing you can tell me. And, um, and today, even as a command staff member at the Sarasota Police Department, I sometimes I leave work and go, oh, my gosh, you're really dumb. You really don't know a lot. And, um, you know, so I've I've accepted and, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. You know, every day I, I come in and I, I want to learn. I want to learn something new. And um, it's really been a great career. Oh, that's that's neat. Well, 28 years, I, I would... I would say that it has been. Well, certainly you have many, many stories throughout your career of really tough times, really tough uh, cases that you've come across, and then also cases of hope and things that have really enriched your life and whatnot. But tell us a couple of times that where you're just in a tough situation. Hmm. You know, um, that's a good, that's a good question. I'd, I'd really have to, to think about that, but I, I can tell you, um, you know, one of the most rewarding, or I, I'm, I'm going to actually say the most rewarding yep. uh, time in, in, in my career uh, ha, has been my involvement with uh, Sale of Freedom, which is uh, an NGO, uh, Sarasota based NGO that combats uh, sex trafficking. Yep. And, um, it, it really it is an incredible initiative. Uh, try to make a long story short. Uh, the founders of Sale of Freedom came to the Sarasota police department back in, it was around 2012 and, and said, Hey, we want to help you with your sex trafficking problem. And, um, you know, we were a little puzzled by that, uh, and said, well, we, you know, we really don't have a sex trafficking problem here. Uh, we have some open air prostitution and, that, and that's certainly a problem on North Tamiami Trail. And they said, exactly that, you know, that is a form of um, sex trafficking mm. and, and, you know, try you to guys make, make the connection. Then, Well, I mean, we just, you know, coming up through the Academy, like we spoke of before prostitution was categorized as, as a vice crime, yep. uh, which just by definition is, you know, something that, it's minor. It's it's a minor offense, but really, when you start peeling back the onion, um, it, it's not minor at all. And uh, th- these women who do end up out on the street, you understand how they got there, and and a lot of it, or most of it, is is based upon the abuse that they suffered as as young young kids. You know, whether it was sexual, physical, mental abuse, or or, or mental illness. And, um, you know, the streets are tough. There, there are a lot of predators out there that try to take advantage of people and uh, use people as, as commodities. And, um, you know, we, we ended up forming this great partnership with them. And it, it really, and this is probably 15, 16 years into my law enforcement career. So, oh, okay. um, so I, I had a lot of time on, on the job. And it was, you know, it was a paradigm shift for us. Uh, because we we changed how we we did business as far as trying to combat prostitution. You know, we we looked at the women out on the street as, as victims, and we offered them services. And you know, we looked at anybody that was profiting uh, from prostitution. Uh, that's where we really directed our enforcement efforts, and um, it really changed the dynamics of North Tamiami Trail. And but most importantly, we were able to to 
take people off the street, take women off the street who were, who many thought were lost causes. And, you know, in, in the job of a police officer, you know, you, you go out every day and, and sometimes you go home and, and you feel like you did the right thing and you, you feel like right. you, you probably helped somebody, but right. you might not see the results of your, your, your actions yes. here in a, in a very profound way. You know, when, when you see a woman who has been out on the street for, you know, let's say, and I, I am thinking of one specifically, yes. um, 10 years and, oh. and got there because of the, the trauma that she experienced in, in her life. And then, you know, succumb to, you know, all the negativity of the street and, and, you know, being controlled by a, a trafficker and, and also all the trauma that she's received, you know, in that, in that environment and the drugs, you know, yeah, to take someone that's, that you find in that condition and to be able to remove them or help them uh, remove themselves from that position and then see right. them flourish Right. In life, and this isn't an overnight thing. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of time, and then there's ups and downs in that journey for them. But to to see the end result, uh, where they are reunited with their family member or members, they're yes, um, they're you know they've been to, to to counseling, they've been to um, drug treatment. You know they're they're enrolled in school. They've got a a stable job. I mean, this is. You know, I I said this earlier. There's been nothing more profound in, in my law enforcement career than being involved with that. What are what are some misnomers that many people might have about sex trafficking? I, I, let's put it, let's put it this way. What were you surprised to find out early on about sex trafficking? Well, you know, the I I think that many people when they see women out on the street, they they presume that they want to be there. It's, right. their, it's their choice. They they want to be there. Right. Um, and, um, and, and that's really not the case. And this, I, I say this because we interviewed and interview many of the women that we come in contact with and, and really try to get to the root causes of why, why they're out there and, yes. and how, how come, you know, they haven't been able to uh, be successful in, in, in getting out of that life. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's one of the, the misconceptions I, I, I think, you know, another so it's just, it's just not, it's just not, it's just, so it's, it's a confluence of things. Uh, it's, it's economic, it's, it's abuse that they went through. It's the environment that they're in. It's low self-esteem. I mean, those are the things that I've heard, but, I, but, um, you know, you have to deal with that, you know, face to face. And I just didn't know whether that was true. Well, I mean, this is, you know, it, it is very, it's yeah. complex and, uh, right. and everyone has their own story and, and their own reason for that, that drove them out onto, out onto the streets and, and in this life. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the, the constant is, is the trauma that they experienced uh, in, in their life, predominantly when they were, when they were kids. Well, as a father of three daughters, that really, uh, that gets me to hear you talk about that because I could not imagine anything worse than uh, one of my daughters having to go through that. It sounds like a, a magnificent thing that you're doing. And uh, I want to come back to that maybe in our next episode. Sure. But the, the one thing that I really want to turn to, which is now 20 years ago, was September 11th, 2001. Uh, for 
our newer listeners, that, of course, is known as 9-11. And that's when we had two planes fly into some buildings here in the United States. But the president of the United States, George uh, Bush, was here in Sarasota. And uh, Captain Dimitri, you got a phone call. Take us through what happened. Well, on that day, um, we knew that uh, the president was going to be in town. Uh, so this was a, it was a pre-planned day for the Sarasota Police Department's involvement in his, in his visit. And, and it was a multi-jurisdictional effort, meaning that, right. you know, the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office was involved. Um, uh, Secret Service was involved. And uh, I think the Florida Highway Patrol, so many of the law enforcement agencies in the area were involved uh, in, in escorting him or helping secure him. Uh, during his stay. And and my involvement that day, I was an officer in the street crimes unit and we were assisting with traffic control and and uh, also taking part in the, the escort. Uh, and he was staying out on Longboat Key uh, the night before. And I, I remember, you know, one of my stations was out on St. Armand's and here comes the, the procession of vehicles uh, to include the presidents. And, you know, it's always neat to, to be involved in that when the president of the United States oh, is, is coming sure. through uh, your, your town and, you know, any involvement in that is, is pretty special, no matter who the president is. And, um, you know, we did our job that day and he went on to uh, Booker elementary where he was uh, there was a reading event with, yep. uh, with the young kids. And, Second graders, I think. Yeah. Right. And then I know we all remember that iconic uh, picture or clip of video where one of his uh, people on his staff came over and whispered in his ear. Uh, and, um, you know, he had a stoic face, a stoic response. And then, you know, quickly thereafter, he was uh, whisked away. Uh, yep. Uh, you know, it was an emergency uh, egress from that school and, and straight off uh, to Sarasota International Airport where, you know, his airplane was awaiting. And and I remember, you know, speeding up to to the airport and watching Air Force One take off. It was uh, a vision that I'll never forget. Um, it, it seemed like it didn't even taxi. It just from a stationary position, the, the nose lifted and shot straight into the air. And, um, you know, at, at that point we were still really trying to process, well, what, what exactly is going on at, at this point? And so, so you, I mean, did you guys think that, okay, Sarasota under attack because the president's here? I mean, what, I mean, I'm sure everything was running through your minds well, across had, the radio. Yeah. We had heard over the, um, not the police radio initially, but, um, just the, the FM radio that, that a plane hit one of the towers and there was still a lot of ambiguity uh, with that. Really didn't know if it was a, you know, a small Cessna or, or what, or what happened. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, those, the, those memories are, are burned into all of our right, memory sure. banks. Um, yep. The most horrific uh, event of, of our lifetime and, you know, ever really here in the United yep. States, just tragic. I remember, I remember at the time I was in Chicago. 
was doing some business up there and I was stone's throw from the John Hancock building and that's 107 stories. And I remember I was in the lobby, I forget the name of the hotel, I was in the lobby of the hotel and I could look out the window, see the John Hancock building and I could watch the TV and I saw the second one plane hit the building and I'm looking at the John Hancock and I'm going, oh no. And uh, unfortunately, some of the uh, folks I was working with at the time, they had an office in one of the trade towers there and, you know, had lost some of their coworkers. It's just extraordinary. But I mean, to really be on, you know, on the police staff and to have the president in town and to have to respond when you guys have never been through that before, I was just curious as, you know, what do you do? I mean, you, you got him out of town as fast as you could, but you know, what else, what else kind of took place? You know, it was really a, a, a whirlwind. Um, and really it wasn't until, you know, weeks later when you really start to understand right. the impact and, and realize that, um, wow, you know, here, here in Sarasota, I mean, we had, there, there was a little, I mean, certainly, I mean, New York city went, you know, the police force NYPD and, and, and all the law enforcement in that city, you know, so many heroes lost their lives, firemen, uh, police officers. And, and then the days that followed weeks, months that followed with, with the, the cleanup and, um, and the after effects. But to think that we, we had a little, a small role, uh, on that yeah. day, uh, yep. was, was historic. Yep. Well, it certainly was, and it was a scary time for all of us. And it's it's amazing to me that it's been over twenty years since that has happened. But you know what was, um, and, and this just popped into my head, and it's a it's a great memory, and it's I think it's definitely notable because you asked, you know, about the the aftermath here, and and we had it felt like everyone just came together as a, as a yep. country, and and we. Yeah. You know, not a few days after that, we had a, a gigantic storm roll through here. Um, and uh, I think power was out for three or four days. I don't know if you remember that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember being out in one of the intersections directing traffic because the the lights had gone down uh, because of the, the bad weather. And, I mean, it seemed like almost every vehicle that stopped by, people were waving, honking their horns, thanking us bringing yeah. us food, bringing water. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was all sparked from this sense of, of unity. Yeah. And patriotism. Uh, patriotism. Yeah. And, and, indeed. and, and, and thankfulness. And uh, what, I mean, just uh, unbelievable. You know, we, we do so many things. Um, you know, we have, we do more than, you know, people think, well, the cops, you know, they just take people to jail and, and, and write tickets. We're, we're entrenched in the community. And, and we handle all kinds of issues. Um, this is what we signed up to do to, to help people. And, you know, mm -hmm. how do you define helping people? I mean, it, we, we do anything, everything. We, we, you would be surprised of the things that our, our police officers handle. And to eliminate that would definitely impact any community in a negative way. Yep. Yep. Well, well, if it's any indication of those folks that came by and were, and were yelling out attaboys at you when you and I were talking there on Main Street, I, I think that uh, Sarasota is a great place to be a policeman. And we are very blessed to have you and the rest on your workforce here to, 
you know, really to protect us and do all the additional things that you do uh, for Sarasota. And again, um, Captain Dimitri, I feel like we just uh, scratched the surface, so we will definitely have to have you back. Well, it has truly been a, a, a pleasure, Bob. I thank you for inviting me on your show, and, and I wish you all the success in the world. And I'm super happy uh, that I got a chance to meet you. All righty. Thanks again. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.